Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Hey, uh, my name is Byron. I get the privilege each and every week to serve as the lead pastor here at Redemption. If you are a guest, I want to say thank you so much for, for gathering with us, for hanging out with us today. Um, we hope you enjoy it and maybe decide to come back. Like, that would be, that'd be great. Next week, um, we're having a food truck, so at least you get a burger next week. So if for any reason, come back for that. Uh, next week is our one-year anniversary as a church, and so today uh, we're closing out the book of Titus, taking a look at what it means for us to be a church that is centered upon the work of Jesus and that we would live our everyday lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. Have you guys enjoyed the book of Titus? Yes? Good. Awesome. I've had a lot of fun walking through this book. Um, It's been challenging, yes, but it's also been um, very insightful for what it looks like for us to continue to to grow and to thrive as a church. And uh, I was talking to Bo, our worship guy, and I asked him, hey, what did you think about um, Titus. And he said, Byron, you always preach on like verses and topics and books that you don't hear a lot about in church. And so I was like, you know, that's pretty true. We've done Habakkuk and we did Titus. So I think we're just going to preach like obscure like books of the Bible and just kind of build working towards that. So we're going to do parables next. Uh, and then we're going to do Song of Solomon. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, as, we, as we get ready after Easter and growing as a church, that's where we'll, we'll be heading at. But for today, we're finishing Titus. Okay, so um, Titus is a short book, but it's a very insightful book, teaching us what it looks like or what a church should strive towards to live for the, for the glory of God and for the good of others. And today, our, our big idea is that God's glory produces good works. So we're going to pray, then we're going to jump right into the scripture, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church, for these people, that you have called us together for your purposes. God, thank you for giving us the ability to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we don't earn it, that we don't deserve it, um, but you have made a way possible for all of us to gather together to find hope and to find meaning for life. I pray for us as a church that we would be your people in the midst of the world, that when people see us, they, they see the glory of God, and, and that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to be people of good works in this city, in this world, in our families, in our jobs or wherever you have us. I pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have you guys ever, um, have you guys ever put together Ikea furniture? Yeah, like, have you ever put together Ikea furniture? When me and Ashley got married, we were broke, like college broke. I don't know if you know there's a difference between broke and, and college broke, but there's a difference. And so when we got married, we were 22. Um, we, we, we were in college. We waited tables. And so we were college broke. So when your college broke, all of your furniture comes from hand-me-downs from your grandparents, uh, cardboard boxes and things on the side of the road. Have you guys ever been college broke? And so we finally saved and stewarded well, and we graduated to normal broke. And normal broke people buy their furniture from Ikea. And so one day we were like, hey, let's, let's go. So we hopped in the car and we drove to Ikea. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Ikea in Houston. It's this massive warehouse. And it's got all of this like postmodern art decor furniture, and there's rooms all over this, this building. And so you can spend like all day, literally all day in Ikea. And you're walking, it's like, oh, that's what I want my bedroom to look like. That's what I want my living room to look like. That's the, the kitchen. That's the dining room. And, and this is exactly what I want my 276 square foot apartment to look like. This is it. 
So we find some things we like. We get a desk, we get a bed, we get a side table, and, uh, and we load them into the roller skate of a car that I drive, uh, which is a Yaris, and, and everything's prepackaged boxes, so it fits right in there. And so I drive home to my new apartment with my new wife, and I got our new furniture, and it's all in pieces all across the living room. And I think, oh, this is going to be easy. I can do this, right? And because the instructions they give you is basically like a Swedish guy waving at you, and you're like, this can't be too, too hard. And the only tools you get is an Allen wrench and like a wooden peg. So I'm like, you know what? I, I got this, right? Wrong. Wrong. Four hours later, I'm cussing. Ashley's crying. Like, we almost get a divorce. I'm questioning my salvation. I'm wondering, how could something so simple be so complicated, right? How can something so easy be so difficult? I'm afraid it's going to be the same way with our text today, that we're going to come to this text and we're going to think, oh yeah, Christian life, easy. No, it's not as easy as we think. We think, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I do this, right? I have faith, but faith takes work. It takes work, it takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes energy to walk out our everyday faith in our everyday life. I'm afraid that when it comes to the Christian faith, some of us are standing over the Ikea furniture of our lives thinking, we got this, but everything's in pieces and we're missing the big picture. How can something so easy be so complicated at the same time? Well, that's, that's, that's called the Christian life. That's called, that's called faith. And that's the big idea that Titus is, 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 is learning in this book that God has called us to be a people for his purpose, that what we believe has a direct impact on the ways in which we behave, that faith takes work, and that, and that we are to live for the glory of God, his glory, preeminent, supreme, on display in our lives. And so Titus is a young pastor at a, at a church in a city called Crete. And all he wants to do is see his church grow. He wants to see people meet Jesus. He wants to see people get baptized. He wants to start new groups. And, and, and Paul is his pastor. And Paul is a missionary church planter who travels around to different cities, um, different places, starting churches. And he traveled with two men. He traveled with a guy named Timothy and another man named Titus. And as they planted the church here in Crete, the church got up and running, and then he left Titus to serve as the pastor at the church in Crete. Now, what I find interesting about Crete is Crete's a, a pretty intense place, right? The Cretans, that's where we get the term Cretan, like you're being disgusting, you're being a Cretan. The Cretans were known, even celebrated for their debauchery, for their wickedness. They were known as, as, as wicked, as evil, as gluttons, as lazy, as drunk, they were violent. They were oppressive to women. Like, this is who, the, this is who the, the Cretans were. And it wasn't just that they were known. It was celebrated by their sin. They, they loved that they were known as this. It was their reputation. This was the culture that they lived in. This is the world that they come from. They were the Cretans. And what I find amazing is that Paul said, that's the best place to plant a church. That's where I want to start a church. Maybe as he went into Crete, he might have planted in a bar downtown. I don't know. That's speculation. But I love that Paul says, this is where, this is where I want to plant a church. Can you imagine the, the stories and the testimonies that would have come out of the church in Crete? Right? I mean, we do stories here. We do like blogs. Uh, we like to do uh, video testimonies of what Jesus is doing in your life. But could you imagine the, the testimonies and stories and the blogs that would have been coming out of the church in Crete? Like, I was an alcoholic. I was an addict. I was... Uh, addicted to porn. I was in an abusive relationship. My kids hated me. I couldn't keep a job. But then I met Jesus and everything changed, right? 
That's amazing. That's amazing. That's some of the testimonies that are also coming out of our church here at Redemption. Because, you know, people don't change that much, but Jesus changes people a whole lot, right? And so what, what I love about this is, is this. Broken people make the best churches, right? Isn't that true? Broken people make the best churches. I love that Paul chose to plant a church next door to hell instead of in a suburb of heaven. I just, I just love that. I get excited about, about reading how Paul goes in, engages in the culture with the church, and it's an amazing thing. And so the church starts growing. Titus is doing well, people meeting Jesus. But somewhere, somehow along the way, this young church that was passionate lost their purpose. They lost their direction. They gave in to division. There was, there was conflict. There was chaos. There was confusion. There was contention within the church. Titus gets discouraged Word gets back to Paul that Titus is having a hard time. So Paul sits down, writes Titus, that young pastor, this letter. And he says, Titus, good news. Jesus still saves. Keep working. Then next he says, we want to see the church grow, so we need to get good leaders. Focus on the leaders. Get the right men in the right spot. Get the right women to serve. Get the right leaders. And he says, be aware of false doctrines. Be aware of false teachers that would come in and seek to sow division into your church. And then he gives us what discipleship looks like in the church. And I give you that overview because today in chapter 3, he's going to shift his focus. So leading up to this, all Paul has been writing to Titus is is what it looks like for us to be the church, to, to live, to serve one another, how we are to treat one another within the walls of the church. And today what he's going to teach us is he's going to shift his focus for us to live our everyday faith in the world. He's shifting his focus from the church now to how we live in the world around us. Okay? And and so what we're going to do today is I'm going to read and then we're just going to talk. We're just going to read and talk and we're going to walk our way through this. And at the end, I'm going to give you an update uh, as to how we are doing when it comes to our work in the world, here in the city, and uh, abroad, okay? So first thing that Paul says is he says this. He says, tell the church that they are to be ready for good works. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and to authorities, and for them to be obedient. Okay, let's pause right there. Because I think that this might already disqualify us from, oh, it's easy, and then we look around and be like, "Mm, that's not that easy, right? I mean, turn on Facebook, right? Turn on social media, turn on the news. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. I don't know. This Christian life is not looking too good for us when it comes to social media at the moment. When we turn on the news, be submissive to rulers and authorities. So how could you say that? How could you think that? What, what, what does that mean for us? Now, here in America, typically, here's what we think. We think the government works for us, right? We vote. We tell them what to say. We the people right? Isn't that how it works? Before we import our American understanding of the scriptures, let's consider who is actually written to you, okay? Because you remember, the Bible is not written to you, right? It's written for you. It was written to a people 2,000 years ago in a city called Crete. Now, there's applications for us as Americans to see how we are to live our daily lives in this country as God's people, yes, but the, the text here is specifically writing to the people of Crete. Okay, Crete was in a city um, next to Greece, which was in the, the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago was in a, uh, a great time of prosperity 
It was in a great time of peace. It was a great time of, of flourishing. And it was what is known as the Pax Romana, that all of the world was under the Roman rule. And everywhere you would go, you would have Roman culture. So you would have their government, you would have their, um, their infrastructure, you'd have their technology, you'd have their highways, you would have their, their systems, you would have their uh, economy. Everything was connected under the, the Roman rule, and it was a great time of peace and of flourishing all across the world, unless you weren't Roman. Now, if you weren't Roman, you were ostracized, you were criticized, you were um, discriminated against. You were made to be a second-class citizen, even within your own home, within your own country, within your own city, you were discriminated against. And no one more particularly were discriminated against as much as the Christians, uh, the Christians were, were hated during this time period. And it's because the ruler of Rome then was a guy named Nero. You guys ever heard of Nero? Right? Nero was a, a wicked and godless man. Right? He, he was terrible. One historian tells us that when Nero was a little boy, he would dress up, he'd put a mask on, and he'd just murder people, like for fun. Like that's, that's Nero. And so you think, oh, I'm sure he outgrew that. You don't outgrow crazy, just to let you know. No, it got worse and as he became the ruler of, of Rome, um, he murdered lots of people within his own family, within his own military. Uh, Nero, actually, one historian tells us that he burned down Rome, burned it down six days, set Rome on fire, played the fiddle, and watched it burn. Like, this is Nero. And now as the ruler, he knows, ah, that's not very good for my, my PR. Like, that's bad PR, burning down the entire city, right? You know, my approval rankings are starting to tank. So what Nero does is he makes a plan, and he blames it on the Christians. And so the Christians, who are already discriminated against, now they become hated. And the Christians are so hated that they begin to round them up, capture them, flog them, beat them, publicly execute them, and kill all the Christians. And, and, and this is, and, and one, one other historian says that Nero would actually take some of the Christians out of the prison He'd dip them in wax, set them in his garden, light them on fire to entertain his guests. That's Nero. And here's what Paul says. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and to authorities. Seriously? To be submissive to rulers? How is that even possible? Why would, even, why would that even matter? How could we do this? So wicked, so evil, so violent. And to be submissive. How is that even possible? And he says this, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one and to avoid quarreling, but to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards, towards all people. He gives us the way that we can do this is by being ready for good works. See, Paul, Paul knew that the persecution of the, of the first church, while it caused the dispersion um, in Jerusalem, but it's also through that persecution that led them to plant new churches. It was through the persecution of, the, of Rome that led them to, to, to be missionaries in the world around them. It was that persecution that brought them together to live for God's glory and God's purpose. See, Paul didn't see the government as an op opposition to glory. Paul didn't see rulers and authorities as an, as an obstacle to God's glory. Paul didn't see the world as an obstacle to our good works. Paul didn't see culture as an obstacle or an opposition to the church. He didn't see them as obstacles nor as oppositions, but he saw them as opportunities. 
that it was an opportunity for the church to be known by their good works, that it was an opportunity for the church to be known for the glory of God, for them to be ready for every good work. In World War II in, in Soviet Russia, uh, Joseph Stalin was the, 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 the leader of that nation at the time. And he instituted what was called the League of Militant Atheists. Okay, it's a really clever name. They didn't have branding back then. League of Militant Atheists is all they could come up with. And uh, he put a guy over it, and his job was to kill all the Christians in Russia. Like, that was it. Stamp out, destroy the church. In, in, in Russia, there's an entire generation of men missing. They're known as the lost generation. From 1920 to like 1945, there's an entire generation of, of Russian men that are just, just not there, just gone, due to communism, due to the war, and also due to them destroying Christianity, or at least trying to, because the church kept growing. And, and, and the guy went to, to Stalin, and Stalin asked, why isn't the church destroyed? And the guy looked at Stalin, and this is what he said. He said, Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. May things like suffering drive us deeper into the presence of God. May things like adversity drive us further into the presence of God. May things that are hardships and broken hearts and pain and suffering only serve as a light for the gospel of the glory of God on display in our lives. Don't don't seek to escape those things. Seek to embrace those things. Because here's the reason. That when the world is at its darkest, that's when the gospel is at its brightest. That when nothing makes sense, that's the moment we make a difference. That when everything seems hopeless, that's when we as a church are the hope of glory to the world around us. We don't seek to escape, we embrace it. It was shortly after writing this letter, maybe months, some commentators say Titus was the, might have been the last, but the second to last letter that Paul wrote. Could have been months after Paul wrote this letter to Titus, he was arrested, brought before Nero, and beheaded. The gospel shines in darkness. What happened to the church in Crete after Paul was killed? It grew. It grew. Now, wherever there is opposition, what we need to do is see it as an opportunity, an opportunity for good works, to be, to be kind, to be submissive, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, but rather to be gentle and to show courtesy to who? All people. It's that all people that really gets us, though, right? All people. I looked that word up in the Greek. You know what it means? All people. That's what it means. All people. What if they don't vote like me? All people. What if they don't look like me? All people. What if they don't talk like me? What if they don't think like me? All people. And here's the problem. In in America, we don't have persecution. Here's what we have instead. We have preference. And oftentimes what happens is our preference becomes our prejudice, and when, we, when our preference becomes prejudice, we get in all sorts of trouble. That we lose focus, we lose determination on the gospel in our lives. Because God has called us to be ready to serve who? All people. All people. Are we ready for all people to see the need, to meet the need, to notice the world around us, and that God has given us a mission and a purpose and a reason to love others? Here's, here's, here's why. He says, for we ourselves were once, what's the word there? Foolish. God, I can't stand the guy. He's such an idiot, right? Paul's like, you were too. And we welcomed you anyway. 
right? What's the next word? Disobedient. Oh, they never listen. They never do what I say. I can't stand them. They're so frustrating, right? Paul's like, you too, buddy. You too. Right, led astray. They, they never do what they say. I can't imagine. Why would, I don't, oh, God, good Lord, rapture them now or take them home. I don't know what to do with them, right? Paul's like, we didn't know what to do with you either. And we still welcomed you. We still loved you. Jesus still saved you. Who were we? We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. He goes on. He says, because you think it gets better, but it doesn't. Here's what he says. Slaves. You were slaves. You were slaves to your passions. You were slaves to your pleasures. Right? Here we go. Passing your days in malice. What are you doing? I don't know. Just hanging out. Passing my days in malice. Right? That's my life. That's my life. Passing your days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, people would say, I don't know. That Paul guy, right? I'm a pretty good person. Right? I do my best. I smile. I recycle. Right? I just live a good, good life. Jesus says no one's good. No one's good but God. Right? This is who we were. Because you know you, right? You know your thoughts. You know your actions. You know your deeds. You know what you've done. You know what you've said. And I would submit that no one's let you down as much as you have. And so if we can't meet our own standards, what makes us think we can stand before God and expect anything other than condemnation and destruction? This is who we were before we we met Jesus. Now, some of you say, well, I'm good. I don't really need God. I would submit that that's the greatest sin is pride, living autonomous from God. And it's not what it's going to get you into heaven because it's what got Satan kicked out. It's the worst. We're not good, but we are saved because he is good. And, and so Paul says, this is who we were. And one of the most challenging things for me as a, as a Christian is to remember who I was before I met Jesus. I'm just being honest. It's, it's really hard for me. Right? I've been a Christian for 11 years. I've been a pastor for about five, and I've been married for eight. Now, there's a lot of math in there, but you can figure it out. I don't remember how I thought before. Okay? I don't know the impulses that, that I acted upon. I don't know the decisions that I, I made. I don't know why I would do the things that I did. And I just wonder, God, what an idiot I was. What, what made me do that? So when, when we get new people in the church, when we get new Christians who come into the church, I like to ask that question. Hey, what, what did you think about before you were a Christian? Hey, what did you think about the church? And most people say, I didn't think about it at all. Like, that's, that's the, the, honest, most, the, the most honest answer that I typically get. Now, some people are very um, defiant or obstinate towards the church. They've been hurt or they have their hesitations. But most people don't even think about it. And so whenever I'm in counseling, when I'm meeting with people, and, 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 or I'm trying to share my faith, or someone in the church comes and tells me they're, they're struggling or they're, they're walking away, uh, my first thought when I'm, when I'm meeting with them, I'm like, you idiot! Stop it. Stop. Don't do that. You're wrong. Stop it. That's my first thought because I want to fix people. I want to be like, that's, don't do that. That's the worst thing that you could do. The worst decision. You're going to ruin your life. That's my first thought. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, Fire, remember when you used to do the same thing? That when you used to act the same way, when you used to think the same way, when you used to behave that way? And see, my first thought is I want to fix people, but then I have to remember I'm not the Holy Spirit. And i got to let God work on them, and my job is to encourage them, and my job is to point them into the direction that God has created them to be. Now, does that mean that we can just do whatever we want, right, and just get away with it? No. 
Does that mean that um, grace is a license for us to sin? Like, oh, I've given my life to Jesus, so now whatever, I can just go do whatever I want. No. Does that mean that because you've been forgiven, there's no consequences for sin? There's no actions that you have to take? There's no repercussions that you must walk through? Not at all. That's not what it means. But what it means is that us as a church are to be graceful and patient and kind to one another because that's what God has done for us. That he was patient with us when we didn't deserve it. He was gracious to us when we didn't deserve it. And so that's what we need to be together as a church. And and here's, here's why. He keeps going. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved us. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He saved you. You say, well, I had a good idea. Well, his idea was better, right? Before the foundations of the world, that's a pretty good idea, right? He saved us. He reached down from heaven into our hearts, and he gave us new life. This is amazing that he would save us. And why would he save us? Not because of our works. Wait, we've been talking about works, right? Works. Good works, not works. We're saved by grace, not works. But by grace, we've got work to do. We're not saved by our works, but rather we are saved according to his own mercy by the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is probably one of the most dense gospel explanations in all of the scriptures. It's so dense, it's so weighty, it's so thick. And what he's saying is we were separated from God. Imagine that separated from God. You were made in the image of God. You shattered that image through sin, through foolishness, through rebellion. That Adam and Eve, our first parents, and subsequently you and me and everyone who ever lived, we have committed treason against the kingdom of God through our sins. And sin is not just what we do. Sin is also who we are. By the very nature of birth, we are broken, fractured people. But God doesn't leave us under the curse of the sin in which we live that Jesus becomes the curse on our behalf, that he takes upon himself all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your separation, and he gives you his righteousness, that God takes your worst and gives you his best, that God takes your sin and he gives you his son, and that we don't have to live in the same way that we did because now we have new nature, new purpose, new passions, new desires because of the Holy Spirit regenerating, renewing, working through our lives. And this is the hope of eternal life, the download, the deposit of heaven in our hearts, both now and forever. This is good news. Now, which part of that depends on you? None of it. And that's so amazing that he saved us, not because of our works, but because of his love, that he loves you, that he died for you, and that he saves you, and he makes a whole new way possible. Do you remember where you were at when the love of God broke into your life? Where were you? Do you remember that day? Do you remember that moment when the love of God, when God's grace reached from heaven into your heart and brought you life? For me, it was a two-part process. Um, Now, I was raised in church. I had youth group faith. I was raised in church. Um, But about the age of 15, 16, I was was done. Like, I was like, this is, I'm just whatever. Um, I bid my time through high school. But but after after high school, I was like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm going to go and do my own thing. I'm going to become my own God. I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to you know, do whatever I want. And that's exactly what I did for several years. For several years, I, I got into to, to drugs and to drinking and lots of sex and um, different bands and punk. And just that was my life for about two and a half years. And that's also how I met Ashley. 
Um, and, and so me and Ashley were partying. We would, uh, we, we would go out, and we'd actually, we were, this night we were in a hotel room, and we were you know, doing whatever you do in hotel rooms. <laughs> and oh, that was kind of awkward. <laughs> and, and, and as we were living this life, she started, she started crying. She looked at me, and now, you know, you're a 20-year-old guy, and girls cry, and no matter how hard you want to be, your heart breaks, right? And so I'm like, well, what's, what's the matter? And she says, I don't want to live like this anymore. I said, well, okay. Well, what do, you, what, do you want to, what do you want to do? She said, well, I, I used to go to church when I was a kid, and I'd like for you to take me to church. And I said, well, that's, that's fine. Yeah, we can do that. Now, me, church is the last place that I want to go, but she's cute, so I agreed. And I said, all right, let's go to church. And, and, and so she, we went to church the next Sunday. Um, now, I don't remember what the song was, right? I don't remember what the sermon was about. I'm like, you're going to forget this one in the week, too. And, but I do remember that God's grace was so evident that day that I don't, I don't remember how. I, I, don't even remember the, I don't even remember what happened. I just stood up, and I just walked down to the prayer team, and I gave my life to Jesus. And he changed me that day. Now, God was already working on my and my wife, God, God was already working in her life. Because that whole week, she had read her Bible for the first time since she was a kid. The Holy Spirit had led her to, to, to pray for the first time. And she would cry every night because she was worried about how I would receive her telling me she didn't want to live that way and she wanted to become a Christian. But God gave her the strength to witness to me that God gave me the strength to walk forward, to be prayed for. Do you remember the day that God saved your life? Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember the joy, the hope, the peace, the, the, the promise of God when he saved you? Let us not forget that he saved us. No matter what we get busy on working on, however busy life gets between jobs and college and kids, let us not forget that day, that moment, when the grace of God broke into your hearts and he gave you the hope of eternal life. It's amazing. The next thing he says is this. That because of God's glory, we are to be devoted to good works. He says, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote, there's our word, devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. Now, let me think about this. What is this word devotion? What does that mean, to be devoted? That means you're giving everything you got, all of your life, all of your plans, all of your promises, all of your passions, you find your deepest sense of pleasures in this devotion. Something, someone, you're giving everything you got to see this something or someone. Right? You're devoted to that. And God says that it should be the same way when it comes to our faith, that we are to be devoted to Jesus, devoted to works, devoted to his word, devoted to what he wants to do in your life. Devotion. Now, me, I'm devoted to my wife, right? I'm devoted to Ashley, happily head over heels, madly in love with, with my wife. And Ashley, she's got the, the new mom thing going on. So, she, so we, our little girl's three months old, and Ashley is a new mom. And when I see her, I think, man, she is so beautiful. Esther is too, but I'm talking about Ashley. She's so beautiful. More than I ever remember out of 11 years, every day I see her, I'm like, this is my wife. And she's so beautiful, and I want, I, want to, I want to nurture that relationship. I want to be a part of that family. 
And I love, I love my wife. One of my greatest moments is for me to come home and I see Ashley and I see Esther and I give Ashley a kiss because Ashley gets first kiss and I turn and I kiss Esther. And my heart is just so full. I got, I got a wife, I got a daughter, I got a home. It's amazing. And I'm, I'm out doing my thing during the day. So I'm, I'm out being, you know, uh, I'm running errands. I'm, I'm in meetings. I'm preaching. I'm practicing. I'm prepping. I'm, I'm doing counseling. I'm at other churches, right? I'm, I'm, I'm working throughout the day. I, I come home and that's what I see. And it's amazing. My heart's just full, right? Ashley, though, Ashley's exhausted. <laughs> she's exhausted. She's tired, right? Because the baby's crying. The baby needs to be changed. The, uh, Ashley needs a shower. The house is never up to her standards. And I'm completely oblivious to all of that, right? I'm just like, oh, everything's great. So we lay down in bed, and I turn. I look at her. I got this big smile on my face. And Ashley's not having it. Not having it. I'm like, wow, I don't know. What did I do? What's going on? And she says, I wish you would work a little bit more around the house, work more in the family. And now immediately I begin to justify myself. Well, oh, I did this two days ago, right? Do you remember when I did this that one time? Guys, wrong answer. Just letting you know, wrong answer, right? Don't do that. Here's what I should have said. You're right. You're right. I'll work harder. I'll, I'll be better. And so that's what I did the next day, though. I woke up. Carved out some time for Ashley, carved out some time for Esther, did some errands for the family, made some time so she could have her time. And why would I do that? Because I'm devoted to my family. I'm devoted to my wife. Now, guys, let me ask you a question. Is it profitable for you to be devoted to your wife? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's profitable for me to be devoted to my wife. Now, if I wasn't devoted to her, is that profitable? Mm, no, it's not profitable. And, and this is the same way it should be when it comes to our faith, that, 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 that if we don't just love in words, but we also love in works, that we don't just say, oh, yeah, I love you, but do nothing, that, that what we say also is met and matched by the, the love that we do. See, love ultimately isn't what you say. Love is what you do. And so what we say has to be backed up by our, by our works. Our words match our works. His glory, the good of others. See, I think when it comes to the Christian faith, many people profess with their mouths and deny with their lives. That would say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's so easy, right? No. No. Oh, yeah, I love, I love Jesus. Well, what did you give to the cause? Nothing. You don't, people don't serve. They don't, they don't live. They don't give. They don't work. They don't put their effort in. They don't put the energy in. That it's all mental ascent, but it's no life change. Now, we don't just love in our, our words, but we would also love in our, in our works. This is what it means for us to be devoted. And here's the good news. Some people will say, well, that sounds like a lot of work, Byron. It is. It is work. The Christian life does take work. But here's the good news about good works, is they're profitable for you. It's profitable. So you can say, I'm depressed. Okay, great. Serve someone and he'll give you joy. It's amazing how it works. I'm tired. Okay, great. Let's pray together and let's get back on mission. And then you'll find the Holy Spirit would empower you to do that. It's amazing because here's the promise God makes, that the more you glory in him, the more joy he gives to you. That's a promise, that when you are satisfied in him, he is satisfied through you. That is a guarantee, a promise that God makes. And so, yes, when you glory in him, he produces good works through you. So let the Holy Spirit work in you. Take the step. Step in faith and watch God meet every need you have through the glory and good of his love, his love. So we need to be devoted to that, right? 
Next he goes in to be focused on good works. Here's what he says. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So one thing's profitable, the other thing, unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning them once and then warn them twice, the second time, third time, have nothing to do with them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Okay, let's just be honest here for a sec, all right? Let's just be honest. Sometimes... Christians are weird, right? No? Sometimes Christians can be weird. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they're just a little weird. Have you ever met, like, the weird Christians, right? The rapture lady? You ever seen her? Right? You ever seen the guy, his job is to point out all the tattoos in the church, tell you what it means and where you're going because of it? That guy? YouTube theologian, right? Like, some, everything's a conspiracy theory, that guy? So in, in the Christian faith, some, some people are very fruitful, some people are nuts. It's just how it works. We love them, but they're scaring the kids. It's just how it works. And, and, and we love you. And every family has a weird one, right? Every family does have a weird person. They're the cousin. They're the uncle. Maybe you got a weird brother, and you think, ah, not my family. You're the weird one. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you are the weird one. And we love you. We do. We even get this sometimes in our church. People would come in. And they say, oh, that's great. You baptize people. Okay, what I really want to know is what's your opinion on blood moons? I don't know. Like, I'm, not, I'm not concerned on those things. They say, hey, that's great. You preach through Ephesians. Wait, that's, that's really cool. What I really want to know is what's your view on the end times? Pre-trip, post-trip? I don't know, pan-trip. What does that mean? It's all going to pan out. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. I'm not devoted to, focused on simply those things. And here's why. It's because when you take one aspect of God's word and elevate it above all the other aspects, you miss it. See, if, if, see he talks here about the people who are stirring up division by genealogies and, and following all these traditions and, and all these things. He says, that's unprofitable. That's, that's worthless. That's not what we want you to be focused on. For the person who adds up all the dates of Genesis to see when Jesus is coming back, like the person who, who's just so caught up in these little minutia and they're making secondary and tertiary issues, primary issues and dividing over it, we're not, we're not into that. That's not what we're focused on as a church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if you can speak in tongues, you know all the mysteries of all the life and you don't have what? Love. It's worthless. Then you're, you're a clanging symbol. You're unprofitable. Right, so here's, here's us as the church. Like, what, are, what do we do as a church? Here at Redemption, here's what we do. We keep the main thing the main thing. That's, that's what we're about. We are about Jesus. We want as many people to meet Jesus as possible. So we open our doors wide. We open our hearts wide to welcome as many people, to love, to serve, to care, to pray, to provide for as many people as possible. So we, we teach Jesus, we preach Jesus, we believe all of the standard orthodox things like the Trinity, the Bible, right? Jesus is the only way, all that annoying stuff. Like that's, that's what we're about. But we, we want to see people meet Jesus. We want to baptize as many people as possible. We want to we see groups started. That's what we're focused on, the main thing, the main thing. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose. We preach those things. Now, do we love theology? Absolutely. Do we love sound doctrine? Heck Yeah. Because sound doctrine produces sound living. That what we believe results in the ways in which we behave. But hear me, that if your theology doesn't produce work, your theology is not working. Right? If your doctrine isn't producing living, then your doctrine's broken. And some people are all about books and not a lot about people. 
Some people are all about people, but they're not about the Bible. As a church, we're to be focused on the work of Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. And we're focused on those things. So, so we, we preach, yes. We pray, yes. We give, yes. We worship, yes. And all of this is so that more people can come to know Jesus. God's glory and our good works. So Paul is closing it all out. This is the, the very end of his letter. Okay? And, and what I find so cool is that he raised up Titus and Timothy. They planted the churches in Crete and Ephesus. And now Paul is already working on raising up new leaders. And this is how the gospel produces a certain type of people in the church. This is what he says. He says, When I send Artemis and Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be to you all. So he says, Titus, you're tired. You're exhausted. You've been working really hard. We need to take a vacation. Come see me over the winter. Bring the new young men that you're raising up. Bring the leaders that you're, you're finding, the men and women. Bring them along with you, and, and we'll, we'll make a day out of it. And, and I want to see what the gospel is producing in your church. This is what he says as he closes. He says, let our people devote themselves to good works as to help in cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. So I was thinking, what kind of people are we producing here at Redemption? Have you thought about that? What are we producing here as a church? I was talking to our elders, um, Pastor Ryan and the church out of Village Houston, and we were, we were talking, well, what kind of people are we producing here at Redemption? That's a great question. Um, every church produces a type of people, okay? Um, and, and we need more churches to reach more people. And different churches reach different people. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that we have more churches, that we have diverse churches, that we have diversity in the kingdom of God. That's a good thing. So some churches are, are, are more charismatic. Some churches are more traditional. Some churches are Baptist. Some are assemblies of God. Some are, some are more charismatic. Some are more cessationist. Like there's different types of churches that reach different types of people. And that's, that's good. That's okay. But what kind of church are we? What kind of people are we producing here at Redemption? And I, I can listen to podcasts and I want to be a honest with you, sometimes as I listen to leadership podcasts or I hear good stories about things that are happening in other churches, I, I get a little discouraged. I, I get a little jealous. I get a little envious. Oh, God, you're doing that over there? Well, what are you going to do here? Oh, they got a building? They're on a building campaign? That's amazing, right? And I see, like, all the cool videos from other churches, and I'm like, man, what are you going to do in our church? How long? When's it going to take? One year, two years, five years, ten years? And what, what, what the Lord showed me is he's already doing it. He's already at work in our church. He's already moving in our lives. He's already working in us. He's already working through us. But sometimes I get so busy, confession of me as your pastor, I get so busy working um, in the church or working on the church, I don't step back and look at the church. Because God is producing a good people. And I ask myself, well, what kind of people are we? And as I'm reading this, this is what I think. I want, I dream for us as a church, for you and me and for the future and everyone else who comes in. This is what I want for us as a church, that we would be simple people. Simple, normal, every day. Simple people. People who have jobs, people who have kids, people who are in college, people who have student loans, people who are debt-free. 
normal people devoted to good works. That's all. That would be just normal people devoted to the gospel on display in our lives everywhere we go. Doesn't sound too hard, does it? Can you live your everyday life with gospel intentionality? Can you live your everyday life focused on his glory while you're at work, while you're raising the kids? Can you do that? I think we can do that. And here's why. Because Paul wrote to Titus how to change the church. Now, if you can change the church, you can change the world. God has always used men and women like you and me to change the world. He's always done it. And I don't think he's asking anything less of us today. If so, Titus wouldn't be in the Bible, teaching us how to, how to organize the church and how to live for the gospel. Or he wouldn't have given it to us. And so there's a question that I always ask myself, is if this church closed tomorrow, would the city miss us? If this church closed tomorrow, if we didn't make it to one year, would this city miss us? I don't know how to answer that. I really don't. I don't know how to answer. Now, some people would say, oh, the church and the bar closed? I knew that. Like, how long would that work out, right? I think you would miss us. At least I hope so. I I would miss you at least, right? Um, But I don't know if the city would miss us because I don't think we've met the potential that we have, that we still have room to grow as a church, that we still have room to, to, to grow in our faith, that we still have room to grow in our families, that we still have room to grow in the gospel. And as we grow in the gospel, the gospel will flourish in our lives. And what I tell you all the time is this, Jesus doesn't change cities. He changes people. And people, empowered, loved by Jesus, change the city. So as we grow in grace, as we grow in the gospel, as we are centered on who Jesus is, it overflows in our lives to the world around us. We have just gotten started for everything that God wants to do in this church. Amen? For God's glory and for the good of others. So here's what I want to do in conclusion. It takes just a little bit of time. I want to give you an overview of everything that happened year one. It's our last week. Um, of, uh, of the first year. And so um, I'm going to give you an overview of all of your good works year one. And then I want to cast a little vision about what we want to do uh, year two, okay? So um, throw that up there. Uh, like I said, sometimes it's really easy for me to get focused working on the church. I don't get time to sit back and look at the church. And when I, when I do that, I am incredibly encouraged of all of God's generosity, all of God's faithfulness, and everything that the Lord has done in this church. So here's what we did. Last year, we baptized 24 people. That's amazing. It's amazing. My favorite one was, uh, I got two. I'll tell two quick stories. Uh, we baptized uh, on several, several different occasions. We baptized an entire family. It was so amazing to see the dad, the mom, and the children, one after the other, just jump right in there and just get dunked. Jesus changed families. Families. Another one was, was my niece, Sarah. Um, this is probably my, my, my favorite one because I love her and she's my niece. And we, when, she, when we did the baptism Sunday, she didn't sign up because she's like a teenager and they don't ever listen, right? And um, she didn't sign up. But God moved on her that service to be baptized spontaneously. So she just jumped up. We have, we have clothes for her. We had clothes for everyone because we hoped that that would happen. And as she's standing in the tub, um, I look at her and then I turn and see her dad 
And I think, man, he should be the one who baptizes her. That God's done such a great work in that family. As he's restored that entire family, I said, I said, Chase, would you want to jump in here and baptize her? He jumped in with all of his clothes on to baptize his little girl. What an amazing story of life change that is, right? It's amazing. Um, and, and so the next one is that uh, we launched on February 21st. Uh, and so we had a larger attendance there, 171, a lot of tire kickers, a lot of good well-wishers. But the week after baptism, after Easter, our largest attendance was 130. Um, and our average attendance currently right now is about 82. The last five weeks, uh, starting off this year, we've ran over 100. And so that's been absolutely amazing. Um, and I tell you that this because uh, I know you can hear this. You think, oh, it's all about the numbers. Well, every number has a name and every name matters to God. So, um, so we want to see as many people come and meet Jesus. Uh, and so we count people because people count. Uh, there's an entire book in the Bible called Numbers. So you can figure that one out. Um, and so uh, our average attendance is 82. We're averaging, um, we've had five weeks over 100. And that's, that's really important to us because um, at the first nine months of a church plant, in nine months, 80% of church plants fail in the first nine months. 80%, that's a lot, right? Um, and the average church plant year one runs about 30, 40 people. Like that's, that's kind of average. And then after you get past the first year, the, 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 Failure rate drops down to 33% in, by three years. So we still got a lot of work to do. Um, and we still got a lot of room to grow. But it's amazing to see what Jesus is doing. Because one-third of our church is in a group. One-third. So we got about we got three groups. We got about 30, 35 people who are involved in um, small groups in that regards. We got 42 people who serve somewhere, somehow, some way on the serve team. Everyone from spell-checking my terrible uh, spelling to taking pictures to uh, working with the kids in worship, 42 people. That's about half of our church is volunteering somewhere. So that's amazing. All you on volunteer team, I love you. I love you. Give them a round of applause. They show up at 8 a.m. to set all of this up. We couldn't do it without you. So that's how, that's how we're doing last year. Let's go to the next slide. So how did we do financially? Uh-oh, right? Um, I'll tell you this. We didn't do bad. We didn't do bad. No, we didn't do good but we didn't do bad, okay? So we're like the Houston Texans of generosity, right? Uh, we can win, but we're not going to go past the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> so we need some J.J. Watts, less Brett Osweilers, okay? Uh, here's how we did as a church. Uh, you guys gave $93,316.07. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. We, as a church organizationally, we used, for God's glory, $89,748.88. So your church is a good steward. You can trust that, that when you give, I think my math's off on that. You can trust that when you give, um, we, are, we are good stewards of your resources. We're not just blowing money. We're not, we're not out being silly, um, making poor financial decisions. We're debt-free as a church. Um, and, and we've learned to live lean as a church. We're like the Ikea of churches, right? Um, so we've learned to live lean as a church. Now, you'll see there's a little asterisk. Uh, the asterisk is we're 60% self-supported. Now, I'm going to give you some good news behind this. All right, church plants are weird beasts, okay? So, um, so our goal and the prospectus that I wrote, it's like a 30-page book that I wrote before planting the church to raise funds, to raise support for the church, 
In that prospectus, we had a plan to be self-sustaining in three years. The average church plant takes five. But me, I'm an overachiever. So um, we had a goal to be at 100% self-supported at three, year, at three years. Currently, we're sitting at 60% self-supported. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what that means is out of the 93,000, 60% came from inside our church. And the other 40% came from other churches that believe in what Jesus is doing and the mission of God here in our city. And so that's, that's amazing. And I believe that we can be 100% self-supported by the end of this year. I don't think that that's, that's, that's far from us, right? How cool would it be for, for us to give um, to the mission that God's called us to be and for me to be able to call up my buddy churches and call them and say, hey, everyone in our church is giving now, so I, I don't need your money anymore. Can we give you money? That would be amazing. That's the, that's the goal. That's the goal. So be encouraged. We're growing. We're doing well. And as we're growing in numerically, we're also going to start growing um, in our generosity, right? Good, good. Next, moving on. All right, so how generous were we? As a church, we don't ask you to do anything we don't do. So we tithe as a church. We gave away 10% of all of our resources to missions. 10%. So we ask you, tie 10%. We give away 10% as well. 5% we gave to church planting, and then another 5% we've given to mission and other causes, both locally and globally. So we're pretty generous people. Audacious generosity is a core value of our church. So thank you for, for doing that. And I just want to say that so you know that your church is something you can trust when you give, that there is financial accountability and that there is transparency in our church. Next one. So next question is, how generous were we? Here's what we did. 11 missionaries in seven countries. That's awesome. Most of the countries, most of the missionaries we support are in Eastern Europe, which is post-Christian, Muslim world, which is near and dear to my heart, and to uh, church planters. So we helped, uh, we've given and helped two church plants here in America. Um, we did a back-to-school backpack giveaway uh, with Girls Haven. We also did a Christmas party for Girls Haven, so we gave backpacks, and then we also gave Christmas presents. One of my favorite moments uh, of the year was going to the Girls Haven Christmas party, seeing the girls open the gifts that you guys gave. It was, it was amazing. As you gave to that fund, to the back-to-school backpack, it's just amazing. We also, saw, um, we also gave 20 water filtration systems to villages in Haiti. Uh, for those who were devastated upon Hurricane Matthew. So we gave to that. And we also gave two, over 200 winter coats to the homeless here in Beaumont. So your generosity is literally changing the world. Literally. So thank you for, for your generosity. Thank you so much for your giving to your church. That's amazing. It's amazing. We're just, like, like we are having a big impact. We're not that big of a church at all, really. Um, but we have a big impact in the world. That your giving is your way to change the world. So next one is this. Okay, new ministries created. All right, we opened Redemption Women. Um, we have uh, an amazing woman who has taken it upon herself to invest in uh, younger ladies, to equip them, to encourage them, and to empower them to live for Christ-centered purpose. Redemption Women uh, meets monthly uh, for brunch at Rayo's, and it's a great time. Um, we also have our worship team who started doing worship nights. Uh, the worship team's growing. They've got new instruments. They're learning and they're playing and they're really being very cohesive. I love our band. Do you guys like the band? Yes. So good. Um, next is missional communities. Uh, so missional communities uh, are our way of, of doing life together. I wanted to say this real quick. 
you'll notice that over the past month and a half, two months, I've actually stopped calling them missional communities in my sermons. Um, or as I talk, I just refer to them as groups. Um, it's because we're going to be changing the name from missional communities to groups or to small groups, community groups, something like that. Um, and the reason being is that they're confusing, like missional community. Um, we had lots of people who joined. They're like, I didn't know what this was. Uh, and like, we just want to make it easier for people to get involved. So it's a small group. Um, we have three small groups. Half of our church or 40% of our church is in one. That's amazing. Who's in a group? Anybody? Groups? Yes. Groups all around. Um, that's great. That's great. And then Redemption Kids. Probably our fastest growing area of ministry is our kiddos. Uh, seeing kids running around every single week. Lots of life in the church. I love it. Um, we're running out of room for Redemption Kids. Um, and so, so we need to be praying about what God wants to do. We also need help and volunteers. What I love most about Redemption Kids, I, I was talking with our leadership team the other day. Check this out. Um, we had to buy new curriculum for the kids ministry um, because they've read through the Bible twice this year. That's amazing. So, uh, so, th- so we had to buy a new kids curriculum. So we're doing the gospel project for kids now. Um, and that's amazing. So new ministries are being created in our church. Praise God. That means there's opportunities for you to serve. Next. All right. So here's what we're praying for now. That's 2016. What are we doing in 2017? What do we want to see? Year two of the church. All right, what do we want to see? So here's what we're praying for. We're praying for a building, a budget, and biblical growth. Okay? We're going to pray for a building. I want a place here in downtown that people know that there's a place that they can go, that knows that there's a place that will love them and serve them and, and be there for them, that we would lay down gospel roots in our city so that way people know we're not going anywhere, that we're here and we're here to stay. And so be praying for a building. Also, we need to put some of these young men to work, so I'll give them an excuse. So we would be praying for a building for our church. Next, we're going to be praying for a, our budget right? Um, That as the church grows, our generosity needs to grow as well. Uh, Our vision is bigger than our budget, praise God. You always want a vision that's bigger than your budget, because if you can actually achieve the vision, you don't need God. So um, so we're praying for our budget, that we'd be able to see more uh, causes given to, that we'd be able to see more people meet Jesus, that we'd be able to open our doors, that we'd be able to serve more people, start more ministries, send more missionaries, all of that it costs. And so we're going to be praying for our budget. But here's the cool news, right? That's a prayer that you get to answer. So you're praying for the budget. We give for that. And the next is biblical growth. We want to see more people meet Jesus. We want to see this done the right way. More people meeting him, more disciples made, more groups started, more causes reached, more hope, more life change. That's what we want to see, biblical growth within our church. That this is just the beginning, and that there are more people that God is sending here to redemption. So be praying before they ever step in the doors. Be investing in your friends. Be inviting your friends. Because God wants to do the same thing for them that he did for you. Right? So here's what, how we're going to do it. Next. All right. Here's where we're going. For our church, this is what I want to see. I want to see us multiply from three to five groups. Okay? So I want to see us about 50 people. So that means if you got a home, you want to serve, you want to be a part of something, hey, open up your home. Start a group. We would love to train you, teach you, and uh, give you the opportunity to start a new group. So we want to have five groups. We'll probably start those after Easter. We'll we'll be looking for two new groups after Easter. Next is we're going to do a team night. That's March 12th. Uh, We want more volunteers and increase our volunteerism. Um, As we grow as a church, there's some things that we need to accomplish, and that that takes manpower. You love your church. We want to serve your church. We're opening up church membership again. 
Um, that'll be happening sometime after Easter. I just got uh, approval from our elders when it comes to membership. They approved our, um, our, our membership process, so we'll be rolling that out very soon. So new members, that sounds great. We got a worship night. Our band's going to be doing um, worship night with Bo and the rest of the team. We're going to be doing some worship nights. And the goal is that they're going to be writing original songs and recording an album by the end of the year. So that sounds pretty great. Um, you hear that, Bo? You got a round of applause. Good for you. Um, family Fun Day. Our children's ministry is planning a family fun day on a Saturday, a big event uh, just for all the families and, and your family and church and all that stuff. And then we're opening Freedom Ministry during the summer. This is a ministry for people who have been um, addicted or abused in any way, um, struggling with guilt, shame, or condemnation. Uh, and it's a freedom ministry uh, for inner healing and deliverance. And we'll be opening that up in the summertime. And so those are some ways that we're going to be working together to accomplish everything that Jesus has called us to do. That's what I want to see at the end of the year, right? I want to see new people in a new building with new groups, right? With lots of kids running around, laughing, worshiping, serving, praying. That's what we want to see as a church. That's what we want to see for God's glory and the good of others. Amen? So here's my challenge, okay? Last words. Give your life to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, give your life to Jesus. Don't wait before it's too late. Don't wait. Do it today. You're going to forget the sermon, but don't forget the grace. Stand up. Come forward to the prayer team. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is that you're walking through. Give your life to Jesus. Let him work in you. Give your life to Jesus. And, and if you serve him, we'll serve you. We'll serve together. It's going to be awesome. Next is share your story. Call up your old friend from kindergarten. I don't know whoever they are. Call them. Tell them, hey, this is what Jesus is doing. Come to church. Be a part of our one-year anniversary. Invite them. It'll be great. Share your story. Get on Facebook. Write your blog. Do something. The Cretans had a story. You have a story. We want to tell your story. Write your story. Send it to us. And then lastly, fill out the card. Okay? Here, this one's for you. All right. Some of you guys are like ninjas. You come in every week, and I don't know who you are. You sneak in. You sneak out. You're like ninjas. I want to get your information. Right? And here's why. We, we want you to be connected into the church. Be connected into what the Lord is doing. We want you to find your place in this body. That it might be in the serve team. It might be in a group. It might be um, in kids, right? You, you have a place. You belong. You belong. And we want to get you connected into any area that you need. So here's what we're going to do. Because none of you ever listen to me and fill out the card and you'll stare at me and you're like, is he done talking yet? No, I'm not. So I'm about to be, if you fill out the card. Let me see him. Everybody, hold your card up. Got one when you walked in. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bribe you guys. Here's what I'm going to do. See these? Right? All right. It's a box of rocks. It's a bottle of rocks, a glass of rocks. It's a jar of rocks. So here's what I'm going to do. For every Connect card... That gets filled out. Starting today, we're going to donate $1 to end human trafficking. Okay? So for every Connect card we get filled out, we're going to give to end sex slavery in the world. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to fill these out today. Do it. Right now. And in the future weeks, 
for guests and people who come in. They're going to get this rock, and they're going to drop it in there, and we're going to be over at the connect desk. And when the jar is full, when the jar is full, we're going to count all the rocks, and we're going to make a donation for our way of doing good works around the world. Sound cool? I didn't want to bribe you with a coffee cup. Like, that's silly. How about, like, actually doing something that makes a difference? That sounds great. Um, so fill out the card, right? What are you waiting on? Fill it out. <laughs> Good. Amen. All right, so I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to take communion. We're going to celebrate everything that the Lord has done, right? All right, cool. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.